If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. All right, praise God. I want to ask you one more time uh, to stand together, and I want us to read. We started last week in the book of Psalm, chapter 91, and we've just been walking through this chapter together. A marvelous, marvelous chapter, and we'll be getting into part two today. But I want us to all stand and read as we did last week. And uh, we're going to read this scripture together. It's 16 verses. So uh, as uh, Michael brings this up on the screen, we're going to start reading. Ready? Read. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways." In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, Father, we thank you for the reading of this word today. We thank you, Lord, for the power that is in your word. It is life to those who find it and health to all of their flesh. We thank you, Lord, that your word is living and powerful, and we receive it now. We open our ears, we open our hearts, and we say, let your word, the seed of your word, take deep root in our lives so that we can live the reality of its fruit. In the name of Jesus, I thank you now, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, um, we opened up this chapter. Uh, I titled this, this uh, sermon, uh, Psalm 91, it's D-Vine, because we have 10 D words that we're going to be looking over. And last week, uh, I'm going to give you just a little recap, and then we'll get into some new stuff today. Uh, but he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It speaks of dwelling, of course, and your dwelling place today. This is something that David didn't have, but you have today, and that is your dwelling place today is Christ. Paul said it in, in uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 28. He said, uh, in him we live and move and have our being. He is our dwelling place. Now that we have become a new creation in Christ, it's not something we're striving to stay in God. We are in him. All right? Jesus said, no one can snatch them from my hand. Amen. 
And that's, that's why you need to understand that you are not like the body of Christ, but you are the body of Christ. I, I remember uh, reading something about a young man who was trying to oppress, impress a, a longtime minister, and he said, isn't it, isn't it good to know and isn't it comforting to know that we are safe in the arms of Jesus? He said, oh, I got something better than that. He said, how can you be more secure? How can something be better than being safe in the arms of Jesus? He said, I'm safe as an arm of Jesus. Because <laughs> we are the body of Christ and individual members of that body. And Christ is every resource of home for you and I. He is your place of rest. He is your start. He is your finish. Amen. So, uh, and, then, and then verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord. And last week I talked about the, uh, this next thing, declaration. What are you saying of the Lord, it's particularly when you find yourself in trouble? It's important that we, uh, that we continue to remember that what what we believe, who we believe God is, will ultimately determine what we believe he can and will do. All right? There's a lot of confusion about the nature of God. And, there's, and so it, it causes prayers to be weak when there's so much man-made ideas of God. And, and, and what David said, I will say of the Lord. What we need to say of the Lord is what God says about himself. All right, because if we're just trying to understand him with our finite mind, we're going to fall way short. And there's a scripture in Proverbs that warns us that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is destruction. So we have to take the scripture and say, well, what does God say about himself? And that's what we will say of him. All right? So that we always will speak the truth. That's why we have the scripture as our gauge of truth, our compass. And, and the Spirit of God, the, the scripture says, he guides us into all truth. He is ever with us to keep us from ever living a lie. Amen. I will say of the Lord, and, and your words are building your life. If you've been part of this church for any amount of time, you've heard me say things along these lines that you've got to get your words right, all right, because they're powerful. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Your words are the declaration of your heart. As Jesus said, that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So, uh, and remember in Hebrews chapter 13 where it says, God says, uh, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then the writer of Hebrews says, so that we may boldly say, since he has said that, I will boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen? So this is, in the moment that we find ourselves in trouble when you're, when you're battling sickness, that's the time to say, I will say of the Lord, he is my healer. Hmm? I will say of the Lord, he is my peace. He is my joy. He is my reward. He is my help. Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, I want to read this verse of Scripture to you. It says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits. And then we, we know this, this next part that was established here in Deuteronomy. This is the law concerning witnesses. By the mouths of two or three witnesses, every matter shall be established. One witness, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouths of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Jesus later on referenced this verse of Scripture, and even Paul himself referenced this Scripture as well. 
So there was, this is a precedent-setting moment. Oh, this is so good. Because we all need to remember, need to understand how our God is. Our God is one, and yet he is three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I've talked to you about the line of authority even in the Godhead itself. Jesus said, I do not speak on my own authority. I say whatever the Father tells me to say. And then Jesus said, there's coming one, the helper, the comforter, the Spirit of God. He's going to come, and he's not going to speak on his own authority. He's going to take of mine and deliver it to you. So it says that he will say what he hears, as a matter of fact, over in John chapter 16. So it's interesting that even in the Godhead, there's this submission concerning his own word. That the Father declares to the Son, the Son declares to the Spirit. And so the moment the word leaves the Godhead, this is so powerful, the moment the word leaves the Godhead, it's an established word. Because in the mouths of two or three witnesses, the word is established. That's why David could say in Psalm 119 verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled where? In heaven. In heaven. That's why heaven is a flawless, perfect, wonderful place full of life and vigor and everlasting, teeming with everlasting life because the word of God is established there. So there is no lack of anything because wherever God's word is established, his will is accomplished. That's why Jesus said, we, as the other witness who stands on this earth, need to pray in this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't forget, heaven's the standard. So what is going on in earth that is in direct contrast to heaven, we can know and be sure that that's not God's will because God's will is what is happening in heaven. So we have a responsibility as his children in the earth, as his body in the earth, to get his will accomplished here and now. That's why you have to believe and know who God really is. I mean, there's a lot of people that think that everything that happens happens by God's sovereign will. That can't be true, because heaven and earth, are, there's a lot of contrast there, and the kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Hey, we got to remember there's a devil out there who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Let's give him his due credit and give God his due credit. James said, don't make the mistake. Don't err. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So that, that's where people get into errors when they begin to question God's nature and God's will. When we have it clearly in the scripture what his will is, Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And if you'll take him at his word, then your prayers then can become not a crapshoot, not a gamble, not a hope so, but rather an assurance that when we speak to God, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we have the things that we've asked for because we've prayed according to his will. Praying according to his will is a praying according to his word. That's why your declaration has to be, I will say of the Lord what he says. Are you catching this? All right, surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. That's, that just means he's going to deliver you from a bunch of bad stuff. All right? Everybody say deliverance. And his name, his name is your sure deliverance. His name is. Is your, Jesus said, in my name, you'll cast out devils. In my name, you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. In my name, you will speak in new tongues. In my name, these things will happen because my name is your deliverance. Woo! That's why his name was Joshua and not Moses. His name is Joshua, deliverer, Yeshua HaMashiach, Joshua the Messiah. 
through Greek transliteration, we get Jesus. But his name was actually, they called him Joshua. And that word Joshua, the name Joshua means deliverer. He wants you, every time you speak his name, to identify with your deliverance. Not what you've been taken out of, but what you've been delivered into. Moses took him out of Egypt. He took him out of the bondage, but that is as far as he went. That's why Jesus' name is not connected to Moses about just what we've been delivered from. You know, I, I've, I've heard lots of people give testimonies, and, and, uh, and, and, and it, they have a whole rap sheet, right? Whole rap sheet, and we think, oh, my gosh, what a great testimony. Just because somebody shot five people, snorted so much cocaine and drank so much and did all this, you know, and they give this whole litany of of things that they went through, you know, and then, all of, and then they kind of end the testimony with, Jesus saved me, so I'm just grateful. I'm like, wow, the whole testimony is about what they've been delivered from, but really our testimony in the name of Jesus is what we've been delivered into more than what we've been brought out of. All right, you've been brought into so much more than you've been delivered out of. Amen. That's the greatest testimony. What are you experiencing today? What do you have now? What do you have to look forward to? Deliverance. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. I love that scripture, Romans 10, 13. That word saved is the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. Everybody say it, sozo. Now, there, there's several definitions to sozo, but I want to give you just a couple that just rattled my cage while I was studying this. One is to deliver from the penalties of the messianic judgment. To deliver from the penalties of the messianic judgment. That is, the pronouncement that was upon sin was what? Death. The judgment upon sin was death. Sin equals death. But this says that you've been delivered from that penalty. Second thing, to save from the evils which obstruct the reception of the messianic deliverance. Wow. To save from the evils that which obstruct the reception of the messianic deliverance. That is, that whatever troubles now come in, into your life, whatever things come to oppress you and to bring you down and bring you into bondage, they don't stand a chance through sozo, through this total deliverance. You know, we were saved by faith, by, by grace through faith. That's what the scripture teaches us. But ladies and gentlemen, as you walk in life, you need lots of deliverances because you've got lots of trouble in this world. Jesus said, in the world you have trouble. But he didn't leave us there. He said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That is, for every problem that you face, there is a deliverance. Amen. Verse 4. Let's get into some new stuff. Are you ready? He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Everybody say defense. Defense. God is your defense. Now, take your Bible and turn to Numbers chapter 23 for a moment. This is one of the most interesting stories in the Old Testament to me. Um, <clears throat> Numbers, now while you're turning there, I want to give you just a couple of chapters before some events that took place leading up to this, all right? In Numbers chapter 20, Moses made a huge mistake, huge mistake. As a matter of fact, it cost him his ministry. It cost him going further with the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, because of what he did, God said, you cannot go into the promised land with the children of Israel. Now you think about what a great man Moses was and the things that he had done up to this point. This is the guy who stretched his stick out over the water and the sea parted. They walked on dry ground. I mean, this, 
God did extraordinary things for this man, this man, except right here he makes a critical mistake that goes against the plan of God. The children of Israel were thirsty. They cried out for water, and God told Moses, strike the rock, and Moses struck the rock with that same rod, and water flowed out. Again, they, they come up to a place where they're thirsty again, and this time Moses, God tells Moses, speak to the rock. Well, we know what happened because Moses was furious with the people and all their complaining that he took it out on the rock. So he struck the rock again. And by that doing, God said, uh-uh, it's over. You'll go no further from here because you didn't do what I told you. Well, what's, what's the big deal about that? Well, and water did come out. The miracle still happened. Because that rock is Christ. This signified that Jesus would be struck for our sins. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said it in Mark chapter 14. He said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. He's talking about his own death. So that rock in the, in the desert was Jesus. When Moses struck that, it was showing us the picture of the Messiah who would be struck for our sins. But since the second order was to speak to the rock, and since Jesus was struck once for all for our sins, there is no reason for him to die again. He is the once for all sacrifice. All right? And so Moses doing that, Moses continuing to do that, then, then uh, uh, sullied, if you would, God's plan and God's picture for Christ to speak to the rock. Because now, once Christ has been struck for our sins, what he did was opened up us away straight to the throne of grace that we may speak to him now. Hallelujah. That we can, we can boldly approach the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. This, this signifies Jesus as our high priest of our confession. All right? So Moses wasn't getting it, but God's God was upset about that. Because it had to do with his son and us being able to see his son through this process in the desert. Because let's just remember today, this is all about Jesus. This whole thing, this whole book is all about him. We see him throughout all the scripture. This whole story is about a father and a son. And we get to get in on it. It's powerful. And then Numbers chapter 21 and that all happened in 20 when Moses struck the rock and then God pronounced it over. And then the Lord, uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses, Numbers 21, 8 through 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. Now, the reason this happened was because uh, just earlier in this chapter, the children of Israel started complaining again. It's one of the most frustrating books to read about these people, right? It's like they forget so quickly the miraculous things that have happened for them. But we can't be too hard on them. We forget. We forget, we forget the good things that have happened to us. We get caught up in circumstances. And so this, they're there to remind us how dumb that is and how ugly that is, how frustrating that is. But here, uh, they had complained against God and Moses. And so the scripture said, the Lord caused fiery serpents to enter into the camp and they started biting people and killing them. Remember what I talked to you about the God of the Old Testament before Jesus' blood satisfied his wrath? If he got ticked off, it was not good for anybody. He sensed these fiery serpents. The, the, the word fiery just means a poison that would burn. When, when the snake would bite you, it would begin to burn the inside. As uh, 
nobody here wants to experience. And uh, so, they were, so, so they pleaded and they told Moses, we've sinned against God, help us. So then the Lord instructed Moses here in Numbers 21, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. You've seen the medical symbol of the serpent on the pole? This is where that came from. And in Jesus, in John chapter 3, referenced what happened here. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So when we acknowledge by faith that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, he became a curse on that cross, that we look upon him as the children of Israel looked upon that brazen serpent in the wilderness, we are delivered from the punishment of sin, from the effect of sin, from the consequence of sin, and given eternal life instead. It's powerful. So, there's some trouble happening here, and God is always faithful, but Moses is sinned against God, the children of Israel sinned against God, and now we come over to, to chapter 23. I know we're talking about deliverance, just so you know, I know, I mean, no, not deliverance, defense, I'm sorry. Uh, thank you, Candace. She knows what I'm talking about. I apparently don't know. But there was a man by the name of Balak, and he was the king of the Moabites, and Israel had encamped against Moab because they were on their way to the promised land and they were conquering nations as they went. Moab realized they're next on the list and so they're freaking out. And the people came to their elders and they told them, these guys are going to lick us up like oxen lick up grass. So we've got to do something here. So then Balak, because he understands that he really can't do anything in the natural, so then he, speaks the, he seeks the spiritual ram through this false prophet, this soothsayer by the name of Balaam. Balak sought for Balaam, and Balaam ends up showing up there. I don't have time to get into the whole story, but it happened through a talking donkey. Anyway, so he gets there, and, and, and Balak has him look over the camp of Israel and says, I need you to curse them. I need you to put a curse on them, because if he could bind them up spiritually, then, then they could win in the natural. So he's thinking that if they could just get a curse on them, and then this is the, it already happened one time that Balaam, Began to make a pronouncement, but it was not a curse. He started blessing Israel. And Balak said, no, 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 stop doing that. So then he takes him to another point of view, looking over the camp. And verse 6, 18 of Numbers 23, this is the next thing that Balaam says about Israel. Then he took up his oracle and said, rise up, Balak, and hear, listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Wow. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. Isn't that interesting? They said he's going to lick us up like an ox. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Did you catch that? Verse 21 is what the part that gets me. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. <laughs> yeah, yes he had. You remember the fiery serpents? 
Remember Moses who, who didn't get to go in the promised land? What do you mean he hasn't observed iniquity and, 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 or, seen, or seen wickedness in Israel? This helps us understand something about our God. I want you to understand today that before this moment, it seems that God has done nothing but observe the iniquity and wickedness of Israel. But when their enemy rises against them to curse them, God does nothing but defend them. So you mess with his family, it does not go well with you. It's one thing for God to observe, God himself to observe their weaknesses. But when someone outside of the family tries to pick a fight, he stands up for his people and declares they're perfect in every way. I see no wickedness. I see no iniquity. Wow. Romans chapter 8. This is a powerful verse of scripture that says this. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Hallelujah. Jesus himself is praying for you right now, interceding for you right now, so that there's no cause of accusation. There is no condemnation, so there is no real accusation. I mean, the devil is the accuser of the brethren, but it doesn't stand up. Because remember, one cannot bring, one witness cannot bring a charge against anyone's iniquity, and the devil is only one. So God, doesn't, God throws his, 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 his case out of court. says, no, there's, there's not enough witnesses. There's just one witness. There's already been three witnesses that have spoken for them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who said they are the redeemed, they are the righteous, they are holy, they are without blame. Hallelujah. This is a child of God, and that's the witness that stands. John said, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Hallelujah. And Jesus, his blood, the scripture teaches us that his blood speaks better things than that of Abel. What does he mean by that? Well, Abel's blood cried out from the ground. That's what God said. He told Cain, your brother your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What does his blood cry out? Avenge me. There's injustice here. But then the son of the living God, as his blood was being poured out, he cried out another. Hallelujah. Not avenge me, but forgive them. That's why his blood speaks better. God is way more on your side than you are yourself. He demonstrated his love and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He did, he does, and he will defend you. Is this helping you? I'm almost through. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Everybody say dauntlessness. I love this word. It means resolutely fearless. But I think that a great demonstration of what it's like to be afraid can be seen here in this video clip, if Michael will bring that up.
Thank you, Mayor and fellow Rachelanians. That, <clears throat> that electrician must be a Democrat. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor and fellow Rachelanians. <clears throat> I am proud to be here today. Attaboy, Luther! <laughs> uh, <clears throat> when I was asked to be guest speaker at this luncheon, I asked myself this. Who are you, Luther Hagues, to be a guest speaker at this luncheon? I thought about my answer about being guest speaker for a long time. Well, what is a guest speaker? Let me clarify this. I have been called brave. What is brave? <clears throat> Let me clarify this. Of course, we all know that it is short for bravery. That goes without even being said. <clears throat> but it is also a symbol of another thing. It is a symbol of doing one's duty, no matter what is scaring him personally. Attaboy, Luther! <laughs> <laughs> Take your World War II. There were many heroes in World War II. What were your heroes? Who were your heroes? Let me clarify this. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I don't think anybody could look more nervous than Don Knotts. Powerful stuff. <laughs> this verse tells us that when, when David makes this declaration, you shall not be afraid. That what he's saying is you're not looking forward to anything evil happening to you. Because it's out there. Calamity's out there. But you don't look forward to that. You take this place of I will not be afraid. Proverbs 15 and verse 15 uh, uh, says this, all the days of the desponding and afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and forebodings. Wow. Let's bring up, if you can bring up the amplified version of that. All the days of the, of the desponding and afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and forebodings. But he who has a glad heart has a continual feast regardless of circumstances. The word forebode means to have a strong inner feeling or notion of a future misfortune evil, or catastrophe. What an awful trap to be caught in, huh? The relentlessness of fear. In, many times people are trapped in foreboding because they've had personal bad experiences. So they only expect, when's the next bad thing going to happen? Right? It's only a matter of time. All good things must come to an end. Right? Because bad experiences taught them that. Or maybe they, you know, uh, they, they were raised in a negative atmosphere where nothing was going to turn out right. They heard mom and dad always talk about the doom and gloom of the future. Right? Nothing was going to work out right. This always happens to us. 
when, why can't we catch a break? Uh, they, they, or they were abused or they were rejected or they endured some kind of tragedy. So then they just kind of simply brace themselves and wait for the next bad thing. And the scripture says that they endure this evil because of anxious thoughts and because of foreboding. Wow. You shall not be afraid. I want you to say this with me. I shall not be afraid. Yeah, there's trouble out there and there's a lot of it. But there's no reason for you to go looking for it. And fear will keep you looking for it. Believe that God is with you. Expect to overcome. Expect God's promises to be your reality. And I'll finish with this scripture. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the promise is, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, thank you for your amazing word. Thank you for your promises that your scripture says that it's through these exceeding great and precious promises that we are partakers of your divine nature and we escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. That is, by your promises, we live godly lives. We live the God-designed, God-purposed, God-planned kind of life. Jesus, you said, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. And we thank you, Lord, for the promises in your scripture that, God, you are our defense. And because you are our defense, we can truly be dauntless even in fear-producing circumstances. Lord, you showed us by example many times when the disciples found themselves in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation where there was fear, you said, take courage. Right in the middle of fear, right in that place, there's also courage to be had. And I pray, God, that your people would be courageous in the Lord, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, because it is God who has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We thank you for this amazing gospel that has delivered us from the tyranny of sin and death. And that gospel is Christ died for our sins and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. And Father God, I thank you that as we receive grace by faith, so we walk by faith so that we can stand in grace every day of our lives. I thank you for your blessing on your people today. As they go from here, God, they go in victory. They go in victory because God is on their side. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. I love you guys very much. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., or 1 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 p.m please visit onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Cause Church. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.